Hello and welcome to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. This week, as I mentioned, I will be doing a two-part episode on a certain illicit drug. I've chosen to first focus on cannabis, as I believe it is one of the weaker drugs, as in some countries it is legalised and in others it isn't. I'll be focusing this week on what cannabis is and what components act in our bodies and how it creates the reactions that it does. And next week, I'll provide a little bit more of the arguments for medicinal marijuana and also against the use of cannabis as well. So let's dive in. is a genus of flowering plants in the family of Cannabacae. The number of species within the genus is disputed. Three species may be recognised, Cannabis sativa, Cannabis indica and Cannabis rudalis. Rudalis may be included in the sativa but all three may be treated as a subspecies of a single species. The sativa may be accepted as a single undivided species also. The genus is widely accepted as being indigenous and to originating from Asia. The plant is also known as hemp, although this term is often used to only refer to varieties of cannabis cultivated for non-drug use. Cannabis has been long used for hemp fibre, hemp seeds and their oils hemp leaves for use in vegetables as such as juice, medicinal purpose and as a recreational drug. Industrial hemp products are made from cannabis plants selected to produce an abundance of fibre. So to satisfy the UN Narcotics Convention some cannabis strains have been bred to produce minimal levels of the tetrahydrocannabinol or the THC, the principal psychoactive constituent. Some strains have been selectively bred to produce a maximum of the THC, which is a cannabinoid, the strength of which is enhanced by curing the fruits. Various compounds, including hashish and hash oil, are extracted from the plant directly. In the US, industrial hemp is classified by the federal government as cannabis containing no more than 0.3% of THC by dry weight. And this classification was established in the 2018 Farm Bill and was refined to include hemp source extracts, cannabinoids and derivatives in the definition of the hemp. Globally, in 2013, 60,400 kilograms of cannabis were produced legally. In 2014, there was estimated about 182.5 million cannabis users about 3.8% of the population aged 15 to 64. And this percentage did not change significantly between 1998 and 2014. According to genetic and archaeological evidence, cannabis was first domesticated about 12,000 years ago in East Asia during the early Neolithic period. 
The use of cannabis as a mind-altering drug has been documented by archaeological finds in prehistoric societies in Eurasia and Africa. The oldest written record of cannabis usage is in the Greek historian Herodotus, reference to the central Eurasia's Scythians taking cannabis steam baths. His histories records in 440 BCE. The Scythians, as I say, take some of this hemp seed, presumably flowers, and creeping under the felt coverings, throw it upon the red hot stones. Immediately it smokes and gives out a vapour as no Greek vapour bath can exceed. The cysts delight, shout for joy. Classical Greeks and Romans also use cannabis. In China, the psychoactric properties of cannabis are described in the Shenagon Benaguang in the 3rd century AD. Cannabis smoke was inhaled by Daoists who burned them in incense burners. In the Middle East, use spread throughout the Islamic Empire to North Africa, and in 1545, cannabis spread to the Western Hemisphere, where Spaniards imported it to Chile for its use as fibre. In North America, cannabis in the form of hemp was grown to use in rope, clothing and paper. Cannabis is a popular recreational drug around the world, only behind alcohol, caffeine and tobacco. In the United States alone, it's believed that over 100 million Americans have tried cannabis, with about 25 million Americans having used it within the past year. The psychoactive effects of cannabis are known to have triphasic nature. Primary psychoactive effects include a state of relaxation and to a lesser degree euphoria from its main psychoactive compound, tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC. Secondary psychoactive effects such as facility for philosophical thinking, introspection and metacognition have been reported among cases of anxiety and paranoia. Finally, the tertiary psychoactive effects of the drug cannabis can include an increase of the heart rate and hunger, believed to be the cause by the 11-OH-THC a psychoactive metabolite of the THC produced in the liver. Normal cognition is restored after approximately three hours for larger doses via smoking pipe, bong or vaporizer. However, in a large amount is taken orally, the effects may last much longer. After 24 hours to a few days, minuscule psychoactive effects may still be felt depending on the dosage, frequency, and tolerance to the drug. Various forms of the drug cannabis exist, including extracts such as hashish and hash oil, which because of appearance are more susceptible to adherence when left unregulated. Cannabidiol, or CBD, which has no psychotrophic effects by itself, although sometimes showing a small stimulant effect similar to caffeine, accentuates or reduces the higher anxiety levels caused by THC alone. According to the Delphic analysis by British researchers in 2007, cannabis has lower risk factors for dependence compared to both nicotine and alcohol. However, everyday use of cannabis may be correlated with psychological withdrawal symptoms, such as irritability or insomnia 
and susceptibility to panic attacks may increase as the level of the THC metabolites rise. Cannabis withdrawal symptoms are typically mild and are not life-threatening. Risk of adverse outcomes from cannabis may be reduced by the implementation of evidence-based education and intervention tools communicated to the public with practical regulation measures. Medical cannabis or medical marijuana refers to the use of cannabis and its constituent cannabinoids in the effort to treat disease or improve symptoms. Cannabis is used to reduce nausea and vomiting during chemotherapy, to improve appetite in people with HIV or AIDS, and to treat chronic pain and muscle spasms. Cannabinoids are under preliminary research for their potential to affect stroke. Evidence is lacking for depression, anxiety, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, Tourette's syndrome, post-traumatic stress disorder, and psychosis. Two extracts of cannabis, drobinanol and nabinol, are approved by the FDA as medications in a pill form for treating the side effects of chemotherapy and AIDS. Short-term use increases both minor and major adverse effects. Common side effects include dizziness, feeling tired, vomiting and hallucinations. Long-term effects of cannabis are not clear. Concerns including memory and cognition problems, risk of addiction, schizophrenia in young people and the risk of children taking it by accident. As I mentioned before, the industrial use of cannabis is the use of the hemp. The term hemp is used to name the durable soft fibre from the cannabis plant or stem. Cannabis sativa cultivators are used for fibres due to their long stems. The sativa varieties may grow more than six metres tall. However, hemp can refer to any industrial or foodstuff product that is not intended for use as a drug. Many countries regulate limits for psychiatric compound, the THC concentrations in products labelled as hemp. Cannabis for industrial uses is valuable in tens of thousands of commercial products, especially as fibre, ranging from paper, cordyus, construction material and textiles in general, to clothing. Hemp is stronger and longer lasting than cotton. It is also a useful source of foodstuffs, hemp milk, hemp seed, hemp oil, and biofuels. I am actually allergic to peanuts and almonds and a few other nuts. So it makes it hard if I'm looking for a dairy alternative. Um, I know now there's a lot of oat milks and rice milks, but they weren't available for a long time. But hemp, hemp milk actually was available in our health food shops long beforehand. Because also, going along with that, with dairy, I love dairy, I love milk, please. I know it's not for everybody, but my body can only process the A2 protein. I'm not very good with cheaper milks. They make me feel very bloated, very sick. So these alternative milks at times when I'm having it with some of my cereals, they're really good. And because I can't have those nut-based products, they're a really good alternative. 
Hemp has been used by many civilizations from China to Europe and later North America during the last 12,000 years. In modern times, novel applications and improvements have been explored with the most modest commercial success. But let's wind it back a bit. The cannabis plant has a history of medicinal use dating back thousands of years across many cultures. The Yanghai tombs, a vast ancient cemetery, which is about 54,000 meters square, situated in the Turfan district of the Yingyang Ungern Autonomous region in northwest China, have revealed the 2,700-year-old 20, grave of a shaman. He is thought to have belonged to the Yushi culture, recorded in the area centuries later in the Hanshu. Near the head and foot of the shaman was a large leather basket and a wood bowl filled with 789 grams of cannabis, superbly preserved by climatic and burial conditions. An international team demonstrated that this material contained THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, the psychiatric component of cannabis. The cannabis presumably employed by this culture as a medicinal or psychoactive agent or an aid to divination. This is the oldest documentation of cannabis as a pharmacologically active agent. The earliest evidence of cannabis smoking has been found in the 2,500 year old tombs of in the Xinzangkul Cemetery in the Panamir Mountains in Western China where cannabis residue were found in the burners, with charred pebbles possibly used during funeral rituals. Settlements which date from about 2200 to 1700 BC in the Bactria and Magariana contained elaborate ritual sculptures with rooms containing everything needed for the making of drinks containing extracts of poppy or opium hemp cannabis and adrephan which contains ephedrine. Sorry, pardon my pronunciation. Although there is no evidence of ephedra being used by the Sepe tribes, they engaged in cultic use of hemp. Cultic use ranged from Romania to the Yensai River and had begun by the 3rd millennium BC. Smoking hemp had been found in Preziak. Cannabis is referred to in Hindu Vedas between about 2000 and 1400 BCE. And the Atharvaja, by the 10th century CE, it has been suggested that it was referred to by some in India as food of the gods. Cannabis use eventually became a ritual part of the Hindu festival of Holi. One of the earliest uses of this plant in medicinal purposes was a karaka one of the 18 siddhas. The plant is called the Karakamuli in the Tamilian language, meaning the Karaka's herb. In Buddhism, cannabis is generally regarded as an intoxicant and may be a hindrance to development of meditation and clear awareness. In ancient Germanic culture, cannabis was associated with the Norse love goddess Freya. 
An anointing oil mentioned in the Exodus is by some translators said to contain cannabis. Sufis is used cannabis in a spiritual contest in the 13th century CE. In modern times, the Rastafari movement has embraced cannabis as a sacrament. Elders of the Ethiopian Zion Coptic Church, a religious movement founded in the United States in 1975, with no ties to either Ethiopia or the Coptic Church, consider cannabis to be the Eucharist, claiming it as an oral tradition from Ethiopia dating back to the time of Christ. Like the Rastafari, some modern Gnostic Christian sects have asserted that cannabis is the tree of life. Other organised religions founded in the 20th century that treat cannabis as a sacrament are the THC Ministry, Catholicism and the Cannabis Assembly, and the Church of Cognizance. Rastafarians tend to be among the biggest consumers of modern cannabis. Cannabis is frequently used among the Sufis, the mystical interpretation of Islam that extends strong influence over local Muslim practices in Bangladesh, India, Indonesia, Turkey and Pakistan. Cannabis preparations are frequently used at the Sufi festivals in those countries. Pakistan's shrine of Lao Shabazz Quatranda in Singh province is particularly renowned for the widespread use of cannabis at the shrine celebrations, especially its annual Uruz festival and Thursday evening Dahamal sessions or meditative dancing sessions. Moving on from the history, cannabis can be consumed in different ways, all of which involve heating the THC or the plant of the decoxylate THCA into the THC. Smoking, which typically involves burning and inhaling vaporized cannabinoids from small pipes, bongs, paper wrap joints or tobacco leaf wrap blunts and other items. Vaporizers, which heats any form of cannabis to about 165 to 190 degrees C or about 330 to 380 Fahrenheit, causing the active ingredients to evaporate into vapor without burning the plant material. The boiling point of THC is about 157 Celsius, which is about 350 Fahrenheit at atmospheric pressure. Cannabis tea, which contains relatively small concentrations of the THC, because THC is an oil and is only slightly water-soluble. Cannabis tea is first made by adding a saturated fat to hot water, like a cream or milk, and with a small amount of the cannabis in it. Edibles, where cannabis is added to an ingredient of one of a variety of foods, including butter and baked goods. In India, it's commonly made into a beverage or blang. And capsules, typically containing cannabis oil and other dietary supplement products for which some 220 were approved in Canada in 2018. I'm now going to move on to some of the effects that cannabis can have on anybody who does take it in any form.
So in the short term, acute effects may include anxiety and panic, impaired attention and memory, and increased risk of psychotic symptoms. The inability to clear, clearly think and an increased risk of accidents. Cannabis impairs a person's driving ability and THC was the illicit drug most frequently found in the blood of drivers who have been involved in vehicle crashes. Those with THC in their system are from about three to seven times more likely to be the cause of the accident than those who have not used either cannabis or alcohol. Although its role is not necessarily causal because the THC actually stays in your bloodstream for days to weeks after intoxication. According to the United States Department of Health and Human Services, there were 455,000 emergency room visits associated with cannabis use in 2011. These statistics include visits in which the patient was treated for the condition induced by or related to recent cannabis use. The drug use must be implicated in the emergency department visit, but does not need to be the direct cause of the visit. So most of the illicit drug emergency room visits involved multiple drugs. However, in 129,000 cases, cannabis was the only implemented drug in that number. The short-term effects of cannabis can be altered if it has been laced with opioid drugs such as heroin or fentanyl. The added drugs are meant to enhance the psychoactive properties and add weight and increase profitability despite the increased danger of overdose. Heavy long-term exposure to cannabis or marijuana may have biologically based physical, mental, behavioral and social health consequences. It may be associated with diseases of the liver, particularly with coexisting hepatitis C lungs, heart, and vasculature. Mothers who use marijuana during pregnancy have children with elevated levels of depression, hyperactivity, impulsivity, and inattention. It is recommended that cannabis be used be stopped before and during pregnancy, as it can result in negative outcomes for both mother and baby. However, maternal use of marijuana during pregnancy does not associate does not appear to be associated with low birth weight or early delivery, such as it would be with alcohol or tobacco. A 2014 review found that while cannabis use may be less harmful than alcohol use, the recommendation to substitute it for problematic drinking was premature without further study. And various surveys conducted between 2015 and 2019 found that many users of cannabis substitute it for prescription drugs, including opioids, alcohol, and tobacco. Most of those who used it in place of alcohol or tobacco either reduced or stopped their intake of the latter substances. A limited number of studies have examined the effects of cannabis smoking on the respiratory system. Chronic heavy marijuana smoking is associated with coughing, production of sputum, wheezing, and other symptoms of chronic bronchitis. 
The available evidence doesn't support a causal relationship between cannabis and chronic obstructionary pulmonary disease. Short-term use of cannabis is associated with bronchitis and other side effects of cannabis use include cannabinoid hypermensis syndrome or CHS, a condition which all involves recurrent nausea, cramping, abdominal pain and vomiting. Cannabis smoke contains thousands of organic and inorganic chemical compounds. This tar chemically is similar to that found in tobacco smoke and over 50 known carcinogens that have been identified in cannabis smoke, including nitrosamines, reactive aldehydes and polycytic hydrocarbons, including benzaprine. Cannabis smoke is also inhaled more deeply than tobacco smoke. As of 2015, there is no consensus regarding whether cannabis smoking is associated with an increased risk of cancer. Light and moderate use of cannabis is not believed to increase risk of lung or upper airway cancer. Evidence for causing these cancers is mixed concerning heavy long-term use. In general, there are far lower risks of pulmonary complications for regular cannabis smokers when compared to those of tobacco. A 2015 study review found an association between cannabis use and the development of testicular germ cell tumors, TGCTs, particularly non-sematomin. Another 2015 meta-analysis found no association between the lifetime cannabis use and the risk of head or neck cancer. Combustion products are not present when using a vaporizer, consuming THC in pill form, or consuming cannabis foods. There is a concern that cannabis may contribute to cardiovascular disease, but as of 2018, evidence of this relationship is still unclear. Research in these events is complicated because cannabis is often used in conjunction with tobacco and drugs such as alcohol and cocaine that are known to have cardiovascular risk factors. Smoking cannabis has also been shown to increase the risk of myocardial infraction by 4.8 times for 60 minutes after the consumption. Although global abnormalities in white matter and gray matter in the brain are not associated with heavy cannabis use, reduced hippocampal volume is consistently found. The amygdala anormalities are sometimes reported, although findings are still quite inconsistent. Cannabis is associated with increased recruitment of task-related areas, such as the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is thought to reflect compensatory activity due to reduced processing efficiency. Cannabis is also associated with down-regulation of the CB1 receptors. The magnitude of down-regulation is associated with cumulative cannabis exposure and is reserved, re, well, reversed after one month of abstinence. There is limited evidence that chronic cannabis use can reduce levels of glutamate metabolites in the brain.
A 2015 meta-analysis found that although a longer period of abstinence was associated with smaller magnitudes of impairment, both retrospective and prospective memory were impaired in cannabis users. The authors also concluded that some but not all of the deficits associated with cannabis use were reversible. A 2012 meta-analysis found that deficits in most domains of cognition persisted beyond the acute period of intoxication, but was not evident in studies where subjects were, an, were abstinent for more than 25 days. Few higher quality studies have been performed on the long-term effects of cannabis on cognition, and the results were generally inconsistent. Furthermore, effect sizes of significant findings were generally small. One review concluded that Although most cognitive faculties were unimpaired by cannabis use, residual deficits occurred in executive functions. Impairments in executive functioning are most consistently found in older populations, which may reflect heavier cannabis exposure or developmental effects associated with adolescent cannabis use. One review found three prospective cohort studies that examined the relationship between self-reported cannabis use and intelligence quotient, IQ. The study following the largest number of heavy cannabis users reported that IQ declined between the ages of 7 and 13 and age 38. Poorer school performance and increased incidence of leaving school early were both associated with cannabis use although the causal relationship was not established. Cannabis users demonstrate increased activity in task-related brain regions, consistent with reduced processing efficiency. At an epidemiological level, a dose-response relationship exists between cannabis use and increased risk of psychosis and earlier onset of psychosis. Although the epidemiological association is robust, evidence to prove a causal relationship is lacking, but a biological causal pathway is plausible, especially if there is a genetic predisposition to mental illness, in which case cannabis may be the trigger. It is not clear whether cannabis use affects the rate of suicide. Cannabis may also increase the risk of depression, but insufficient research has been performed to draw any sort of statistically significant conclusion. Cannabis use is associated with an increased risk of anxiety disorders, although causality has not been established. A February 2019 review found that cannabis use during adolescence was associated with an increased risk of developing depression and suicidal behavior later in life, while finding no effect on anxiety. About 9% of those who experiment with cannabis and marijuana eventually become dependent according to the DSM-4 1994 criteria. A 2013 review estimates daily use is associated with about a 10 to 20% rate of dependence. The highest risk of cannabis dependence is found in those with a history of poor academic achievement, deviant behaviour in childhood and adolescence, rebelliousness, 
poor parental relationships or parental history of drug and alcohol problems. Of daily users, about 50% experience withdrawal upon ceasing of use, characterized by sleep problems, irritability, dysphoria, and craving. However, cannabis withdrawal is less severe than the withdrawal from alcohol. According to the DSM-5 criteria, 9% of those who are exposed to cannabis develop cannabis use disorder compared to 20% for cocaine. 23% for alcohol, and 68% for nicotine. Cannabis use disorder in the DSM-5 involves a combination of DSM-4 criteria for cannabis abuse and dependence, plus the addition of craving without the criterion relating to legal trouble. There is a perception that cannabis overdose is rare because the risks of fatality from acute exposure are low in adults. However, there are over 1.5 million visits to the ER as a result of cannabis consumption per year in the United States, and the rates are growing significantly with the increased availability and potency of these products following the legalization in different states. Legalization has also increased the rates at which children are exposed to cannabis, particularly from edibles. Children under 10 can have far more severe reactions compared to adults, and there have been cases of reports of death. Children are also at risk for encephalopathy, hypotension, respiratory depression severe enough to require ventilation, and comas. Severe complications as a result of cannabis use are also rising amongst adults. At one Colorado medical center following legalization, approximately one quarter of the ER emissions for cannabis were severe acute psychiatric effects. An additional third cases were in for gastrointestinal issues, including cannabinoid hemorrhisis syndrome, CHS, a condition seen in chronic cannabis users where they have repeat bouts of uncontrollable vomiting for 24 to 48 hours. And multiple deaths have been reported as a result of the CHS. I wanted to point that out because people I hear a lot is that, oh, well, it doesn't cause any deaths. It does. It causes a lot less deaths than alcohol abuse. It really does, and that is a totally different subject. And when I cover alcohol, I will cover that because I do believe it's one of the most dangerous legal substances is alcohol. Even though, yes, I drink myself, but it is dangerous. And it's, as I've just said there, it's so much more addictive, overdose, all of those things. But I just want to press upon you that Cannabis still can cause overdose and especially, I know it's a responsibility of the adult in charge, but if a child was to get hold of anything, it's like if a child got hold of paracetamol or neurofen and took a load of them from your cupboard. It's exactly the same. It is a drug and it needs to be contained by a responsible adult. And that's The take-home message about overdose is what I want to really press. 
because I don't really want to give my opinion on the use of cannabis because I want to give both sides. I want to show the good sides of it and I want to show the bad sides of it and that is what I'm going to do for every drug that I'm going to cover, whether it be alcohol, whether it be caffeine, whether it be cannabis or whether it be cocaine. So I want to bring the whole thing to the table and set it out. But when it's something of danger like this, I do want to put it out there that this can still cause death. The pharmacology of cannabism and its mechanism of action. The high lipid solubility of cannabinoids result in their persisting in the body for long periods of time. Even after a single administration of THC, detectable levels of THC can be found in the body for weeks or longer, depending on the amount administered and the sensitivity of the assessment method. Investigators have suggested that it's an important factor in marijuana's effects, perhaps because cannabinoids may accumulate in the body, particularly in the lipid membranes of neurons. Researchers confirmed that the THC exerts its most proficient effects via its actions on two types of cannabinoid receptions, the CB1 receptor and the CB2 receptor, both of which are G-protein coupled receptors. The CB1 receptor is found primarily in the brain, as well as some peripheral tissues. And the CB2 receptor is found primarily in the peripheral tissues, but is also expressed in neurological cells. THC appears to alter mood and cognition through its agonist actions on the CB1 receptor, which inhibits a secondary messenger system that andalates silices in a dose-dependent manner. Via the CB1 receptor activation, the THC indirectly increases dopamine release and produces psychotropic effects. CBD also acts as an allostructing modulator of the U and opioid receptors, THC also potentiates the effect of the glycine receptors. It's unknown if or how these actions contribute to the effects of cannabis. Its chemistry and its detection in bodily fluids. THC and its major inactive metabolite, THC-COOH, can be measured in blood, urine, hair, oral fluid or sweat using chromatographic techniques as part of a drug use testing program or a forensic investigation of a traffic or other criminal offence. The concentrations obtained from such analysis can often be helpful in distinguishing active use from passive exposure, elapsed time since use and extent or duration of the use. These tests cannot, however, distinguish authorised cannabis smoking for medicinal purposes from unauthorised recreational smoking. Commercial cannabinoid immunoassays, often employed as the initial screening method when testing psychological specimens for marijuana, have different degrees of cross-reactivity with the THC and its metabolites. Urine contains predominantly the THC-COOH, while hair, oral fluid and sweat contain primarily THC. Blood may contain both substances, with the relative amounts dependent on the recency and extent of usage. The Jugonosis Levine test is commonly used as a screening test in the field, 
but it cannot definitively confirm the presence of cannabis, as a large range of substances have been shown to give false positives. Researchers at John Jay College of Criminal Justice reported that dietary zinc supplements can mask the presence of THC and other drugs in urine. However, a 2013 study conducted by researchers at the University of Utah School of Medicine refute the possibility of self-administered zinc producing false-negative urine drug tests. The variants and strains. CBD is a 5-HT1A receptor antagonist, which is under laboratory research to determine if it has an anxiolytic effect. It is often claimed that the sativa strains provide a more stimulating psychoactive high, while indica strains are more sedating with a body high. However, this is disputed by researchers. The psychoactive ingredients. According to the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime, UNODC, the amount of the THC present in a cannabis sample is generally used as a measure of the cannabis potency. The three main forms of cannabis products are the flower, fruit, resin, and oil. The UNODC states that cannabis often contains 5% THC content, resin can contain up to 20% THC content, and that cannabis oil may contain more than 60% of the THC content. A 2012 review found that THC content in marijuana had increased worldwide from 1970 to 2009. It is unclear, however, whether the increase in the THC content has caused people to consume more THC or if users are just based to the potency of the cannabis. It is likely that the higher THC content allows people to ingest far less tar. At the same time, CBD levels in seed samples have lowered, in part because of the desire to produce higher THC levels and because the more illegal growers cultivate indoors using artificial lights. This helps avoid detection but reduces the CBD production of the plant. Australia's National Cannabis Prevention and Information Centre, NCPIC, states that the buds of the female cannabis plant contain the highest concentration of the THC, followed by the leaves. The stalks and the seeds have much lower THC levels. And the UN states that the leaves can contain 10 times less THC than the buds, and the stalks 100 times less the THC. After revisions to the cannabis scheduling in the UK, the government moved cannabis back from a Class C to a Class B drug. A perpetrated reason was the appearance of high-potency cannabis. They believe skunk accounts for between 70 to 80% of sample seized by the police, despite the fact that skunk can sometimes be incorrectly mistaken for all types of herbal cannabis. Extracts such as haddish and hash oil typically contain more THC than high-potency cannabis. My sources this week were the medicinal uses of cannabis and cannabinoids in the pharmaceutical press from page 74 onwards by Jeffrey William Guy and Brian Antley Whittle and Philip Robson of 2004. 
Also, Cannabis Confusions, which was in the British Medical Journal, which was published in January 2006 by G. Watts. Also, Short Tandem Repeat STR DNA Markers are Hypervariable and Informative in Cannabis Sativa, Implications for Forensic Investigations. In the Forensic Science International, and this was by Gilmore S. Pickle R. Robinson J. from January 2003. Also, A Cultural History of Plants by Richard Rudgley, which was um, published in 2005. But also, um, Gilham Prance and Mark Nisbet were also in on that book as well. That was from page 198 onwards. Sedative, stimulant and other subjective effects of marijuana, relationships to smoking techniques, which was published in the Pharmacological Biochemistry and Behaviour Journal in 1998 by R. Block. And also action of cannabidinol on anxiety and other effects produced by the Delta 9 THC in normal subjects, which was published in the Psychopharmacology Journal in 1982 by A.W. Zuari, I. Zikara, E. Finkelfarb, and I.G. Carnell. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. Next week, I will be covering more into the two sizes for the case of the use of cannabis, use in medical. So what it is used in, in hospitals for chemotherapy, how it acts in those ways. I have touched on it this week, but I will be going into more in depth with this and also into a few of the bad side effects as well. If you have any feedback on this episode or any of my cases, or if you would like me to cover a drug or a case or anything, then please give me an email on macabreformortals at gmail.com or a DM on Instagram at macabreformortals. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. It's been fantastic to go back into research of doing into um, the pharmacological part of all drugs. I really enjoyed this. And when I was in university and I did this, I did really enjoy this subject. So it's been very enjoyable. I hope you managed to keep safe wherever in the world you are this week and have a fabulous week. Bye.